Hi and welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. I'm Christine, your host. We are so glad you are here and our hope is that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. We continue with our series, Unafraid. Here's Christine Geshom with today's message. Church, I'm so excited to be bringing the word of God to you. We are almost finishing up with our Unafraid series and today we are on our second last um, teaching on the Unafraid series. We're going to be looking at the life of Nehemiah. Um, as believers in Jesus, uh, one of the fundamental things that have to shape our lives once we get to know him is the actual act of rebuilding. We don't just rebuild things, we rebuild people's lives. In fact, uh, Jesus' mandate when he was on earth was pretty much the same thing. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 to 4. This is what it says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Take a look at this verse. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. This was what Jesus lived by. He came to earth to rebuild lives. And so once we know Jesus, that becomes our mandate as well. That kind of gets ingrained deeply into us. So we're going to look at a quick video of who Nehemiah was, what his background was, and then we're going to get into this. Nehemiah is an Israelite who is in exile and serves in the palace of the Persian king, Artaxerxes. He gets permission from the king to return to Jerusalem to rebuild its walls. On reaching Jerusalem, Nehemiah sets out to work by allocating portions of the reconstruction to different families and individuals. They face opposition to the rebuilding by Sanballat the Horonite, Geshem the Arab and Tobiah the Ammonite. They issue death threats, intimidate the people and try to give them wrong spiritual counsel in order to distract and discourage the people. The people persevere under Nehemiah's leadership and complete the wall. Citizens resettle in the towns. They gather to hear the word of God and celebrate the prescribed festivals after a time of repentance and rededication. Nehemiah dedicates the walls of Jerusalem and institutes cultural and religious reforms for the good of all the people. So as you saw the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah just didn't rebuild the walls. He even rebuilt the lives of the people in Jerusalem. He, he brought the people back into Jerusalem. He inhabited the place. He gave them reforms for the, how they would run the temple, how they would uh, not intermarry, how they would cling alone to God and things like that. He had put it deep in their hearts of what they would have to do for the next 50 to 100 years. He instituted deep-seated reforms. And so in the same way for us too, we're being called to a season of rebuilding. Um, I don't know what you identify as the ruins of your life today. But I'm sure there are different things that each of us see as our ruins. It could be our marriages. It could be our families. It could be relationships. It could be um, our finances. It could be our careers. It could be so much that is in ruins right now. Maybe it's the world around you. Maybe you see your environment deteriorating. Maybe you see the pollution levels are going through the roof. Maybe you see 
the migrant labor crisis and, and that crushes you because you know that's ruins for you. Whatever it is, today we're going to look at how in this season that we're called to rebuild. We're called to not give up, but to rebuild. And the thing about rebuilding is this rebuilding is hard work. You know, Nehemiah had to rebuild walls out of so much of rubble. The word of God says there was so much of rubble. Gates were burnt with fire. So there were ashes and there were all kinds of things that he first had to clear. In fact, if you ask any uh, civil engineer, they would tell you that rebuilding is harder than actually building because first you deal with the rubble and the mess that exists and then you rebuild. So it's almost double the work. So first of all, rebuilding is hard. Second thing is rebuilding is for the long haul. What we recreate can't just last for a few months. It can't just be for a short term. It has to be for the long haul. But the good thing about rebuilding is this, that when you rebuild, you can do something better. You don't have to stick to the old paradigm. You can actually improve on what was the existing design. And the second thing about it is that with God, even the most impossible task of rebuilding can be made possible. The amazing thing is this huge wall was reconstructed in just 52 days. And these were the dimensions of the wall. The wall in its entire length, in, its, in the way it, it circumvented the whole city, was 1,408 meters. It was close to 39 feet in height. And in thickness, it was 8 feet. Imagine this pretty impossible task, but God made it possible. And that's the beauty of rebuilding. So I want to encourage each of you today. It may be hard. It may be for the long haul. But with God, it's possible. And with God, He can turn something beautiful out of what once was. So if you and I really want to rebuild, we can be unafraid to rebuild if we, first of all, ask God to break our hearts with what breaks his. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 3 to 4. It says this, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burnt with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Like I was asking you, what are some of the things that are breaking you currently? I know that for a lot of us, when we look at the state of the poor in our country currently, it's breaking our hearts because for most of the country, we're just sitting at home. We're figuring out how we're going to run our businesses after this, wondering how to keep our kids sane in the home. But for a vast majority, that's not the comfort they're enjoying. They're on the streets. They're desperate to get home to families. They're looking to somehow find some transport. Things are very hard and maybe that's been breaking your heart. Maybe it's the caste system that is rampant that breaks your heart. Maybe in your very family relationships that are broken, that are in ruins are breaking your heart. But today I want to ask you, what are you going to allow God to break your heart with? Let me uh, read this verse from Ezekiel chapter 36 so that we can get a better understanding of what a broken heart looks like. I'm reading from Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 26 and 27. It says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Verse 31 says, Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. Verse 33, Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be re rebuilt. So here's the interesting thing that God has promised to give us a new heart. The minute we accept Jesus into our hearts, 
a lot of the stony places of our heart become flesh he puts life back into it but the first thing that happens when he revives our heart so to speak is he first convicts us of sin so the important thing to understand is that we have been rebuilt to rebuild so the first act has to be us being very aware of our sinfulness and when we are aware of our sinfulness we can invite jesus into the mix and we can tell him lord this is me i'm broken i'm i need help i need hope and so that's the first act even nehemiah does this if you look at nehemiah chapter 1 verse 6 let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that i now pray before you day and night for the people of israel your servants confessing the sins of the people of israel which we have sinned against you even i and my father's house have sinned that's what nehemiah began with he was broken but he first confessed his sins the sins of his people and then he leaned into what god was going to tell him so the first thing is when we ask god to break our heart with what breaks his a lot of times our own sinfulness breaks god's heart and so i need to first ask god lord what is it about me that disturbs you and and when i've asked that question many he never keeps quiet for that kind of a question he will reveal to us the sin issues of our heart he will say this is where there's pride this is where there's an ego that rears its ugly head he will show you that you're not 100% honest and these are the things that when you come before him and repent of it he first cleanses us he first puts a heart of flesh in us and then like i said he has rebuilt us to rebuild the minute he says on the day that i cleanse you from your iniquities i will cause the cities to be rebuilt isn't that amazing so that means the minute he cleanses us minute he opens our eyes to our sinfulness and the minute he cleanses us we can experience what it's like for others to also experience this kind of cleansing and so our heart starts breaking for the things around us we no longer are about ourselves i remember as a child i was pretty apathetic to things happening around me until i was almost 23 24 I didn't feel for things I didn't uh, feel for things happening around me after 23 24 when I accepted Jesus as my personal savior and really started walking in his ways things that hurt him hurt me the situation of children who have been abused around the country started really falling on my heart heavily until then it didn't affect me but the minute I started walking closer to God I started hurting for the people who were hurting and that's what happens when you allow God to break your heart he opens up your heart to see other things around you that need rebuilding so if you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 5 it gives us a clear understanding of how god breaks our heart this is what it says may the lord direct your hearts into god's love and christ's perseverance so i want to ask you today what is your heart breaking for it could be for your own family it could be for your own marriage it could be for the way your business has been running maybe the things that you observe as ruins are the very things that god wants to burden your heart with but will you first come before him and lay it all before him and say lord this is who i am i need help and then the next stage is where he gives you the strength to rebuild he tells you exactly how to rebuild that's what happened when nehemiah humbled himself he said lord i'm broken for my people and that's when god laid on his heart that burden to rebuild his people's lives back in jerusalem so that's the first thing we can be unafraid to rebuild when we ask god to break our heart with what breaks his the second thing is we can be unafraid to rebuild when we do the due diligence when we plan ahead if you look at nehemiah chapter 2 verses 6 to 9 this is what it says then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me how long will your journey take and when will you get back it pleased the king to send me so i set a time i also said to him 
If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. And so I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the letters of the king. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. We're going to look at chapter 2 verses 11 to 13. It says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. So what Nehemiah does is before he even begins the act of rebuilding, he does a whole lot of research and he does a whole lot of asking as well. When the king asks him, what help do you need? He doesn't just say, no, it's okay, I'll figure it out, which most of us like to do. We don't want to get indebted or obligated to anyone. But here he openly says, I need help. I need safe passage to my location. And so he gets letters for all the governors. He says, I need timber because I need to rebuild things. Give me, you know, access to wood. And so these kind of things that he asked for unashamedly helped him. Second thing he did was he did his research. He went by night, he got on this horse of his, went around and examined the state and the ruins of the walls and the gates. And so for us today, it would be unwise if God has already given you something to rebuild, but you're not going to do the due diligence. You're going to just rush into it headlong. It might be a little foolish because you don't know the magnitude of what God is asking you to do. If we can look at Proverbs 19 verse 2, it says, Desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses the way. Desire without knowledge. And knowledge comes because we seek for it. We go after it. Let's look at Proverbs 2 verses 1 to 8 in the message version. Make insight your priority, it says. Good friend, take to heart what I'm telling you. Collect my counsels. Guard them with your life. Tune your ears to the world of wisdom. Set your heart on a life of understanding. That's right. If you make insight your priority and won't take no for an answer, searching for it like a prospector panning for gold, like an adventurer on a treasure hunt, believe me, before you know it, fear of God will be yours. You will have come upon the knowledge of God. And here's why. God gives out wisdom free. Is plain spoken in knowledge and understanding. He's a rich source of common sense for those who live well. A personal bodyguard to the candid and sincere. He keeps his eyes on all who live honestly and pays special attention to his loyally committed. Some of the words I'd highlighted were this, tune your ears to the world of wisdom. Make insight your priority. Search for it like a prospector looking for gold. God is a rich mine of common sense. He's a personal bodyguard to the candid and sincere. That's who our God is. So when we do our due diligence, when we read up, you could read up on literature. If, if God has softened your heart towards the need of one part of society or, or even if it's related to your own business, do the due diligence. Read up. Get counsel. Find out from people who have gone before how they did it. Maybe you don't have to start something on your own. Maybe you can work alongside someone. So find out who's already working in that place. If we don't plan ahead, if we don't, um, you know, put down the costs of what this is going to involve, we're going to be shocked at the magnitude of the rebuilding task. 
And so it's very important in order for us to be unafraid of rebuilding, for us to do the due diligence. I remember, like I was saying, uh, God laid it on my heart to, to help those who had been abused as children. And I remember the first thing, as soon as God spoke to me, my husband told me to get in touch with one of our friends who's a social worker in Chennai. So I mailed her from the US. I mailed her and I asked her, see, this is what God has put on my heart. But I am not a social worker. I'm not a counselor. I don't know what I'm going to do. What do you suggest? And so from the year 2013, this friend of mine would guide me in remote. She would tell me, these are the things you must pray for. These are the questions you must ask God. Um, because I, she didn't know what God was leading me to do, but she knew that this was from God. And so she kept nudging me in the right direction. She, she directed me to journals to, that I could read. And so over the next six years, all I've done is, uh, though I've been impatient, Lord, what, what is it you want me to do exactly? God directed me to get into the word of God, first of all. Secondly, he directed me to resources that are available. Thirdly, he showed me what was already being done in the field of rehabilitative work. And then after a lot of time of, of waiting on him, of, of being connected to the right people, he then opened the door for me to understand more clearly what my involvement is. And that's what due diligence does. It literally opens the, uh, the doors of our understanding to see where our niche is. Now, the, the deal is, Whatever your heart is breaking for is already being worked on. Someone's already helping in that area. But God has a niche just for you. He's carved out this space that is shaped only for you. And so when you do your research, when you do the long, hard yards of, of finding out more, he will reveal to you what exactly your niche is. Where do you fit in? How do you actually make a dent in this situation? So don't give up. The research is hard. The research sometimes, like for me, it's taken six years and God is still showing me things. He can do the same for you. But start today. You can be unafraid of rebuilding if you do the due diligence. The third thing is we can be unafraid to rebuild if we choose our battles wisely. Pastor Joel Austin says this. The reason many people miss out on God's best is because they are distracted fighting battles that don't really matter. We need to choose our battles wisely. It's very important because we notice with our children that they fight every battle that is thrown at them. When they fight, there is no battle too big or too small for them. And what happens at the end of it is they're exhausted and weary. And that's a great lesson for each of us today, that there are some battles that are not worth us getting into and dirtying our hands. And there are some that God will clearly teach us how to fight. So I want to look at four instances in Nehemiah's life through the book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah was directly intimidated. He was uh, There were threats against his life. There was a lot of um, opposition that was rising up, but he dealt with it in such a beautiful way, in such unique ways. And here's the thing, when we decide to rebuild, the opposition is real. It, it's not funny how opposition will come out of the woodwork. It could be through your very own family. It could be uh, through very close friends and relatives. It could happen through your spiritual leadership. It could happen even with your health. It could happen in, in different ways. Opposition is real. But how you react to the opposition is very important. So we're going to look at first Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. It says, when Sanballat the Horonite... Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So the first thing was three enemies rising up out of nowhere 
they are mocking and ridiculing him. The first stage of opposition. And this is what he says back to them. He doesn't attack them. He just affirms who God is. The God of heaven will give us success. He just declares this over them. And he says, we are his servants. We will rebuild. You don't have a part in this. So relax. He affirms who God is. Sometimes our opposition requires us to just reaffirm who God is. God, you're the creator of heaven and earth. Nothing is beyond your control. Nothing is beyond your scope of control. The second incidence of opposition for him was Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 to 5. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? burnt as they are. Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. And so this is what Nehemiah replies. He says, hear us, O God, turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. The second tactic he is using here is when they are insulted and, and people are intimidating them, he puts the load onto God. He says, Lord, you deal with them. Put these insults back on them. Again, Nehemiah doesn't dirty his hands by wasting time coming up with retorts or comebacks. He just hands it off to God. The third kind of opposition they face, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 11 to 15. It's a long passage. I'm just going to read a small bit. Our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. And this is what Nehemiah did. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood over and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And it says when the enemies heard their response, they, they were frustrated because the work went on. So this, the third thing that Nehemiah did was in response, he was prepared. When we hear of a death threat, it, it would be easy to just lock all the doors of our house and stay safely in. But here Nehemiah is saying, we're not going to get intimidated. We're not going to stop the work. This is just intimidation. So all of them continued working with swords and spears in their hands while they kept working with the other hand. And this is the beauty of responding correctly to opposition. He didn't go out into war. He was just prepared. He was ready for anything. And the final kind of opposition in Nehemiah 6 verse 9, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. If you see here, Nehemiah prayed pivotally. It was a very pivotal prayer. He prays exactly for the situation. They are scheming that their hands would get too weak. Lord, strengthen our hands. When opposition comes, it's not an if, it's a when. When opposition comes, how are we going to respond? Are we going to fight back every bit of opposition? People will rise up. People will say things. Are we going to dignify everything with a response? Or can we actually be silent? Or can we actually just rest in the fact that God's got this? If God has called me to rebuild, God will help me with the opposition. There are some promises that I'm going to leave with you. I'm just going to um, go through it really quickly. But if you can note it down, if you're going through a season of opposition, when you have a vision of rebuilding, here are some promises you can claim over your own life. Uh, Isaiah 45 verse 2, it says, I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. 
Isaiah 40 verse 31, it says, They that wait upon the Lord will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Uh, Exodus 14, 14, which has the Lord has given me many times, the Lord will fight for you. You keep silent. Psalm 28 verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I'm helped. Psalm 138 verse 3, on the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. And Joshua 1 verse 1, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not tremble, do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the reality is that opposition will come. Opposition is real. Other reality is also that when God has called us to rebuild, he will be with us. We are not alone. He stands with us. He prepares us for war. He helps us. So as I conclude, I want to leave you with this. Rebuilding is hard work. It's not for the faint hearted. But here's the thing. It's hard work because of the amount of rubble you have to deal with. If you're going to step into a season of rebuilding your home or your family or your career or maybe even society around you, the brokenness that you see, uh, you will be dealing with a lot of rubble, rubble that looks like past memories, past hurts, brokenness, um, a lot of um, hardships that they have undergone. And you have to work through all of that to really rebuild. And so I, I would urge you not to give up. The next thing is it's for the long haul. So when you work to rebuild something, it's not just for the next few months. It's going to be something that you do for years on end. The important thing to remember about rebuilding is that you can create something way more beautiful than what existed to begin with. And so if you're going to rebuild your marriage, expect great things. If you're going to rebuild your home, expect that it's going to look way better than something you ever imagined. If you're going to rebuild your business or your career, trust God that Lord, if you call me into rebuilding, you will make it something beautiful. And also you can be unafraid to rebuild if you ask God to break your heart with what breaks his. The second thing is that we can be unafraid to rebuild if we will do the due diligence, if we will do the hard yards, if we will do all the background work so that God shows us that niche we must work. And finally, we can be unafraid to rebuild if we choose our battles wisely. It's very important that we don't fight every battle that is thrown at us, but that we sit back sometimes, allow God to show us how to fight the battle. Remember that each of us who know the Lord, we have been rebuilt to rebuild. That's our calling. That's our mandate. Each one of us, no exceptions. What are you going to rebuild today? You may be asking me today, okay, I love this. I love the concept of rebuilding. In fact, I need to rebuild a lot of areas in my life and around me but I don't know Jesus. I don't know who Jesus is. Can I urge you to just close your eyes at this time to still your heart and just repeat this simple prayer after me, a, a prayer inviting Jesus into your life. For once he rebuilds you, he will enable you to rebuild others. Can you just pray this with me? Dear Lord, I invite you into my life. There are ruins and brokenness and charred remains of my past that I need you to help clear up. And so, Lord, I ask that you will forgive me of every sin, every wickedness, and that you will make me whole again. I pray that you, with your resurrection power, will fill me today with life, strength, and ability. I thank you, Lord, for all that you are going to do in my life. I love you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. 
to hear more messages like this make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes if you like what you are hearing consider rating us subscribing and even sharing it with friends that would really help us for more content from we are zion and to connect with us go to weazion.in remember whoever finds jesus finds life